What is up, everybody? It's your good friend, Lukey, and welcome to episode two of the Once a Week podcast, my exclusive solo endeavor on my Substack. So if you were listening to this, you might be a podcast listener who might not know about my Substack. You can go over there and, you know, email me and I'll, I can give you access for a month for free. Maybe I'll do a special offer. Why don't you interact with me on my Twitter Instagram or all social media accounts, or leave a message if you um, so much choose to. Also, for those that listen to the podcast, reviews really help our podcast get noticed, so please leave us a review if possible. It really helps the show, and I've consistently tried to give you guys my best efforts. As always, sometimes I fail, but that is that. So let's get into that good old-fashioned Lukey talk. Subject number one, Kazuto Ioka. I'm not sure we can think of a fighter in the modern era who is as good as him, who is impacting the U.S. and British boxing as little. Let me say that again. A fighter who is a top 10 pound-for-pound fighter, who is a four-division world champion, who fights at weight classes that Americans and the Western world don't really care about, minimum weight, light flyweight, flyweight, super flyweight, held belts in all those divisions... Has a loss to Donnie Nietes. I think he has two losses. I'm kind of winging this one. But it's like he doesn't have the perfect unbeatable record. Retired in 2018. Unretires. Only fought once in the U.S. It was on a Superfly card. He wasn't even the main event. A ton of Japanese media came to cover him, which kind of blew my mind because Bruno Escalante, my dear friend, was on the undercard. And I was like, wow, I've never even heard about this guy. And this guy has more media than the main eventers. So... Kazuto Ioka is for sure a Hall of Famer if the Hall of Fame is based on merit and achievement, which I don't I don't know because I'm I'm still not convinced. I don't think I'll ever vote for the Hall of Fame. Maybe I will. I don't know. You never know how these things play out. I never thought I'd be in the position I'd be in right now, and now I'm in a position of some sort. So Ioka should be in the Hall of Fame, but my problem with the Boxing Hall of Fame right now is... I don't think people go and watch tape on every single fighter who is up for nomination. I think that's the obligation of being a Hall of Fame voter is not just looking at the fighters that you have the deepest connection to, watching each fighter on that list and seeing, oh, are there guys that really are more deserving who should be there? Ioka seems like a first ballot overlooked guy because he hasn't created, I always talk about this, but this is something I truly believe in emotional connections with the fans and Ioka is a guy where I don't think that he's made those relationships and connections with fans in the United States unless they're hardcore enthusiasts unless they have a a method to navigate systems in Japan to watch fights that are strongly not catered to their market or their or to them just we can stop it there to them period point blank uh Ioka's really, really, really good. He beats a guy named Jasper Perez up until Wednesday. I think his name was Jobber Perez, which tells you how much I knew about it. My good friend Nota, who's a longtime Twitter slash X user, really, really astute mind on the lower weight classes, said the Venezuelan fighter was really good, being greatly overlooked. Ioka should have been in the running for fighter of the year this year. Obviously, he's not going to win it because he didn't impact the world enough on a global scale to probably to win that award, but he has some really friggin' good wins. He he defeated um, 
Joshua Franco, who retired after. People arguably believe Franco beat Ioka in the first fight. Then he beats Franco in the second fight. Franco promptly retires. Pursued a Juan Francisco Estrada fight. Estrada, for some reason, didn't take the fight. So then he takes Perez. He's a guy at 34 years old where I'd like to see the Estrada-Ioka fight for the legacy. And then if he wants to do a passing of the torch moment, a fight with Bam Rodriguez could possibly set the stage for a future Bam Rodriguez-Nao Inaway fight, which is probably the most interesting fight to be made at or around Inaway's division, realistically, when given another superstar boxer that's probably on the same trajectory or quite possibly on a similar trajectory as himself, who also poses new interesting problems, being that he's younger possibly stronger, possibly fresher. That is an interesting rubric to see if Bam could kind of make that happen. I'd I'd be a fan of that. So Ioka won. Pretty much nobody in America watched it. No one really cares. People are getting their dinner reservations in line, their alcohol reservations, their their sit at someone's house and listen to the G-Unit mixtape reservations. That did happen to me one year. I was sitting at a house listening to G-Unit albums from 11 to midnight. Not one of my better years, but we're having bitter, better years now. So, you know, sometimes you just have to appreciate what you got now and that you got there. Um, undercard, pretty much just regional talent. I think one fight to be aware of, though, is that... Um, Dago Higa, who back in the Superfly era was a guy that people were really, really... A- high on he was looking like a breakout star missed weight for a contest i believe he missed weight for the christopher rosales fight which is the cousin of jose gonzalez and chocolatito gonzalez and all those guys relative if i'm remembering right could be remembering wrong japanese commission then goes you missed weight we're going to indefinitely suspend you came back and then in 2021 he lost again to a fighter that I'm not really aware of, although I believe that that fighter has a good record and an incredibly hard name to pronounce. So Higa came back. He's a bantamweight. He's rifling off some wins. Bantamweight, since Inouye has left the division, is not nearly as interesting as when Inouye was in the division because it was a relevant fighter. It's feeling like Bam Rodriguez is probably going to be in bantamweight by the end of next year or at the latest, 2025. So... He's a guy where that possible failed potential, now that sets the stage for him being a guy that maybe he can be a back-end guy. That sounds kind of funny when I say it like that, but maybe he's a fighter who can reach his promise in the second half of his career as opposed to building and then ascending, and then his career becomes whatever it is. Maybe he's someone who we thought would ascend, has some failures, grows as a person, grows as a fighter, and does something. That being said, the fighter that he beat, knocked out left hook, fourth round, etc., lost three of his last five fights. So this was a tailor-made opponent for him to get back there and kind of look good against. Still, he's a fighter that I, I think was there was a lot of excitement around, and when there's excitement around fighters, that means there is an ounce of truth to it. And there is something there. People don't just get excited to get excited. There was something special about him, and now we have to understand, is it just something that people saw potential, or did they see something that's tangible? That is the big question. 
Let's go into this weekend's fights. There's only really one fight card worth kind of mentioning. Though I will mention, if you live in the Tacoma, Washington area, Big Gergen, Gergen Hovanesian, will be in action. It's kind of a stay-busy fight in Tacoma, Washington, January 4th. No form of television. But Big Gergen, I believe he's he's mostly fought on PBC cards. He's a, a solid heavyweight fighter. Uh, above average for sure and the press release came out this week saying that he's the best or a top five heavyweight prospect according to joe goosen i don't know if i can name five heavyweight prospects let's try it right now torres jr i guess jolly off fits that bill uh brandon moore is guido vianello a prospect i'm not sure um already running out of names moses ituma from Queensberry, okay, I think we're there. Uh, what's what's the fit? So I mean, by default, you see how how kind of thin heavyweight is in terms of world class, exciting talents. Big Gergen's a guy that I don't know how good he's going to be, but I think that he can be exciting. And also, they're moving him very quickly. I believe half baked research, actually no research. This is his fourth fight, I believe, and he's in ten round fights, which tells me two things. Uh, there's a lot of confidence, and they're trying to get to those really high-paying fights as quick as possible and not mess around. So that's interesting. January 6th, we're going to have a Las Vegas card with Virgil Ortiz. Virgil Ortiz sat out all of 2023, unfortunately, based around health issues. And we at this podcast, first and foremost, wish Virgil the best because I think a lot of people um, – unfairly kind of ridiculed mocked and belittled him for his health issues i think that uh, what they call rab rabdomolosis which i i never had heard of until virgil had this issue come up in the michael mckinson fight and then it reoccurred in his ill-fated three attempts for a man a man as and just to detail that stanionis had to get his appendix pulled out virgil ortiz had a, a reoccurring bout of rab occur and then the fight week of Ortiz Stanionis Ortiz was pulled from the card for an undisclosed issue prior to the bout after that Ortiz Oscar De La Hoya's promoter basically stated it's it's over attempting to try to make this weight we're going to 154 my question leading into this is so he's fighting Frederick Lawson Lawson's a, a solid reputable fighter with a good record but this is more so a get Virgil Ortiz back in the ring fight because this Frederick Lawson is a guy that Virgil Ortiz was fighting this caliber of opponent three to four years ago so yes it is a step backwards but also all of 2023 was a step backwards for Ortiz he went from fighting guys like Mean Machine and Maurice Hooker and being one of the most exciting fighters in boxing to a big question now is, can Virgil Ortiz even fight? Is he going to be sanctioned? Is he going to make it to the ring? Is he healthy enough to fight? So a fighter like Frederick Lawson will just be there to get a great opportunity. Maybe if I don't see it, but if Ortiz is compromised in some way, Frederick Lawson could become a Josito Lopez-type legend overnight with a win in this type of fight, which is what makes boxing boxing. But more than likely, Virgil Ortiz is going to come through, make weight, get a win, and then try to put himself in an April 
or May fight date that I think the fans are excited about based on his performance in this. My only concern is, is junior middleweight pushing it? Is he a middleweight that was trying to shrink down to welterweight? And was that part of the issue? Is just moving up one weight class enough to give him relief? That's my concern going into this. I think that everything but the fight will be interesting about this. As I said on the podcast, if you listen to the podcast this week, or if you're tuned into the podcast and you're listening to this free sample of the Once a Week podcast, well, that's something you'll hear. Uh I think the press conference and the weigh-in are going to be more interesting to the fight if the fight happens. We have to say if, because Ortiz didn't make it to the ring in 2023, and he actually didn't make it to the ring one time in 2022 with McKinson. The trend right now is he's missed more fights than he's made the fights. So we have to put asterisks and temper our expectations, not because we don't like Virgil, but because we have to be realistic and not lie to people. Um cell phone going off Arnold Barbosa is on this undercard and in Arnold Barbosa's case Arnold Barbosa is a guy where it feels like he's always one fight away from getting the big fight oh you beat Jose Pedraza you get the big fight oh you beat Danielita Zarilla you get the big fight oh you beat uh Mike Alvarado you get the big fight and he never does right and it's not completely his fault it's not his former promoter top rank's fault he was with top rank and <clears throat> one of the issues was Teofimo had no interest in fighting him, didn't see him as a profitable fighter, didn't see him as an interesting fighter, so Barbosa couldn't land that fight. Then there's rumors that a fight with Kenny Sims couldn't be made, so that kind of separated the parties. He's now with Golden Boy Promotions, an LA-based promoter. Barbosa's an LA-based fighter. It seems like there's a lot of enthusiasm and hope around what Barbosa can bring to the Golden Boy promotions. He's taken on a former former Devin Haney opponent. I can never pronounce this guy's name, although I was there in Shreveport when Haney fought him. Uh, he also just recently went 10 rounds with Ernesto Tito Mercado, who realistically, Barbosa Jr. and Tito Mercado could be on a collision course for each other with the way Barbosa Jr.'s career is going. Uh, Mercado is moving very fast, and Barbosa needs to fight someone that's extremely relevant Tito Mercado, according to ProBox TV's prospect ranks and the fighters to consider as the top fighters in 2024, he's number five on that list. And those are the type of fighters that if you're a veteran and you truly believe in yourself, that's a good fight to try to pursue and actively go after. It's going to be interesting what Barbosa goes for because he's always looking to land these huge fights with fighters. Now the fixation is Ryan Garcia, yet... It seems like none of these big-name fighters have any interest in fighting him. So now it's like Ryan Garcia is really focused on Devin Haney. And if Barbosa wins this fight, I'm sure he's going to call out Ryan Garcia. But Ryan Garcia is probably not going to respond. And that's the paradox with Barbosa is how do you stand out when you kind of do everything people ask for in the world? And that's just not good enough. One other uh, title... About to know about O'Hara Davies taking on Ismail Bersaro. Maybe this will be the fight that Barbosa gets his big fight. Let's hope that because this is a very inconsequential fight in the big scheme of things. I do like that my guy Ismail Bersaro is getting an opportunity to avenge kind of one of the worst stoppages in 2023. 
um, a sequence where he was punching back. We saw the referee stop the bout, uh, awarding Roley a world title, a WBA junior welterweight title. He's going to get a second opportunity. He's taking on O'Hara Davies. O'Hara Davies, a former MTK guy. He got a big win over Lewis Ritson. But this has been a perennial domestic level fighter, a guy that there's a reason why you haven't really seen him on your television. He's kind of a certain tier fighter. This is the co-main event. In a perfect world, the winner of this fight would fight Barbosa, and that would be Barbosa's opportunity to get his his world title shot that he's wanted. So this is the podcast. I hope you enjoy the once a week podcast when there's longer weeks of more fights, exciting fights. Let me know and I will I will talk longer. Also on this, leave comments in the Substack and I will respond to them on the following once a week podcast. So let me know if you're enjoying this and I sure hope you do. So and for those listening to the Lukey Boxing podcast, let's jump right into that. You're definitely muted still, bro. I got the crappy microphone on because I suck, and who would ever like me? Um, Boxing Awards Show 2023. Dakota's on. Uh, How are you doing, Dakota? I'm doing all right, brother, man. How was your Christmas? It's good. It's going to be nice when we're back to normal. Um, How was your Christmas? It was nice, bro. It was nice and quiet. Perfect. Okay, let's get into what people tune in for, boxing talk. Um, thoughts on Marlon Tapolis versus Nao Inouye. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, it was a great performance. Tapolis showed why he got the fight. You know what I mean? He put up some true resistance, landed some really hard shots on Inouye, showed the durability. You know what I mean? Um, and Inouye would just... Every time it looked like the fight was kind of starting to be even, he just had a crazy combination or he had something to take it up to another level. It was a fantastic performance from a, a pound-for-pound talent. Yeah, I mean, to me, uh, Jack Kelly put it best. Uh, in a way, or Tapolis basically did as well as you could getting beat up every round and then getting stopped. Like, he was competitive. I've seen some really bad takes about if if he had moved his left arm and punched this way and zigzagged in a way would have gotten dropped like it's like the in a way was thoroughly dominant in this fight i think it brings up a more interesting conversation which is shout out to shoeshine podcast which is the real interesting is in a way is one of is one of if not the best fighters in the world the problem is there's no fighter like you've been saying that we're really genuinely interested in seeing him in with at the present time. So despite being a two division undisputed champion, he's so much superior through our perception that these big accomplishments aren't seeming as big to a lot of people based on the fact that he doesn't really have a true equal yet to step in the ring with. Well, I mean, I think you could argue that Fulton was that equal, particularly since he was coming up in weight. So I feel like he's kind of already checked that that box. I mean, Fulton lost to Figueroa, though. I mean, he did. Everybody loses. Everybody loses. I still think at that present moment that Fulton was, you know what I'm saying, the number one guy in the division and in a way dominated him. So I feel like that's an example. You know, at the time, Nonito was a much bigger guy coming down and weight guy fought at like 130 pounds. Right. So coming back down to 118, having that power, 
you know, I feel like these are these are fights where he's he is checking that box. No, and, and I'm not trying to be a hater here. I'm just I think that I, I know you're not. I'm countering what you're countering. Um, I think that they're like basically when we get into our awards, which we're about to get into our awards. But what this fight highlights is there's going to be two schools of thought. You're going to have people that are like, well, you're going to have three schools. So you're going to have an uninformed opinion that's going to say in a way isn't good, which is just uninformed and you shouldn't listen to it because anyone that's competent understands he's one of the best fighters. So that's just an uninformed trollish behavior to try to capitalize off his fans. The two opinions I'll see is guys who believe in a way is underrated, maybe a little bit nuanced boxing fan, hardcore boxing fan. They want him to get more credit. They're going to say he's the best guy or the fan that goes, he's very good but he's not quite fighting that Gervonta Davis, that Emmanuel Navarrete. Maybe next year he has Rafael Espinosa. If Espinosa were to beat Rabisi again, that's an interesting fight. But there hasn't quite been one of those fights where it's like the odds makers are making it about an, a, a push him, a 160, a 200. Like there hasn't been that fight. The Fulton fight, I think he was still a four or five to one favorite. Um, I think that's the two school shots we're seeing with Inouye. And to anyone that feels that way, I would just say that's only because he's so talented. Honestly, it's not. It's it, it, the the level of guys he's been fighting, particularly over the last couple of years. You know what I'm saying? That's um. Yo, what's good, Ian Green? How you doing, brother? Thanks for tuning in. Um. Yeah, bro. Shout out, Ian Green. How's my microphone? Is it terrible? No, your mic's doing good now, bro. Okay, my mic's doing good. Shout out, Ian Green. Real boxers watching the show. That's. We're not a boxing media program because boxers are watching. Um, you know, congrats on the win. Absolutely, bro. We are. I mean, I think Ian. I think you have one of the most underrated wins and resumes right now, middleweight. And I think you're in kind of a tough position if we're going to keep it all the way a buck, because I think you're a guy that can beat probably any middleweight in the division. You beat a prospect, you beat Vaughn Alexander who beats a lot of guys. So now it's up to these sanctioning bodies to get you highly ranked and platforms like this to keep you in the conversation because you're talented and sadly talented fighters who are a little under the radar. Those are the ones astute managers and good promoters try to avoid matching their fighters with. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, Listen, there's not there's not enough. It's not like there's, you know, so many big names up there. It's like there's a handful of very talented guys. Ian Green is absolutely one of them, and he needs to be in one of those fights, whether it's against a, a Troy Isley or it's against, you know, somebody at the top of the division or somebody else who's working their way up to the top of the division. That's a fight my man needs to be in. And let's shout out my guy, Daniel Rubin, one of the best people. One of the best people in boxing. He says, let's go, Lukey. Let's go, Daniel. Let's go, champ. This is a big show today. I couldn't agree anymore. And then our guy James Burrell wants to bring up another school of thought. He said, you left out the school of thought that will pretend he doesn't have two wins over Donaire and will act as though Spence is the modern-day Sugar Ray Leonard. Um, I think that goes into the uninformed uh, opinion of someone saying, like, in a way, isn't good. I'm not sure that I know who he beat. Like, guy's good. The guy's good. It's just a matter of how good. I want to talk about. He's great. He's not even. He's not good, bro. He's a great. He's a great fighter. That'll catch on though. 
And I also want to bring up something that you can go to ProBoxTV.com slash news and read an article posted today. Shout out to my guy, Trix Dixon, for helping me with it, um, making sure the English and the grammar is all there. You know, Hall of Fame boxing writer Tris Dixon, just a flex, but also a thank you to him. Uh, I put out an article called The Four Kings of Japanese Boxing. And it, I, I thought of this idea because you got Inoue, obviously he's the best one. But then you have... Ioka, Kazuto Ioka, who's fighting this weekend in a fight that we're both not going to watch because it's against an opponent we don't care about. But he's really good, and he should fight a Jesse Rodriguez. But you're going to watch it? I don't know. If, if I can, if it's available and I'm available, I would, I would watch Ioka just because I think he's, he's, he's a skilled guy. He's a skilled guy, right? And it's like he should get an Estrada fight. He should get a BAM fight. He's in that conversation. Then we got Kenshiro, and then we got Junto Nakatani. Is this possibly like the greatest era of Japanese boxing ever? It's definitely the best one that I've been around for. I mean, Japanese fighters have always had contenders, but I think at the moment there's more guys that are ascending, you know, pound for pound type conversations. Um, it's always been a great boxing culture, boxing country, but yeah, it's definitely having its, its shining moment right now. Am I tripping and thinking four of the best 20 fighters in the world are from Japan right now in those four fighters? Name name me the two that aren't uh, in a way. Ioka, Junto Nakatani, sure, and then Kenshiro, who's this very decorated light flyweight. So I need to I need to educate myself on him a little more. The other three guys, absolutely, because I think Kenshiro is right up there with him. So I mean, I think that it, that people are kind of sleeping on the the elephant in the room is it's not just in a way. There's a lot of talent coming from Japan, and Japan might start to become something Ian Green jumping back I feel like Troy Isley and the up and comers will keep me where I am I need a name a contender like Charlo Benavidez uh Ammo Shane Mosley someone who's well I mean you're gonna get your chance the thing about boxing Ian is as long as you can make it work financially and stay hungry and motivated in the gym you will get your chance it's just not all chances are created fairly so it's just going to come down to when you get that chance, you got to really, I always talk about the emotion of the moment and you just have to really be ready for that. You know that you're not given anything in the sport, be ready for everything that comes with that and just try to maximize it because you win one of those fights, you get a chance to go in the record books as, as a historically important fighter, which is what I think you're training for. And I said, I said somebody like Troy Isley, just cause I'm a fan of the sport and I think he's a great fighter and I think you're a great fighter, but I think you're, you're, you're right. You've put yourself in a position now where those are the kind of fights that you deserve and that you should be looking for. And to be fair, he beat a prospect that was in Troy's position. So you shouldn't have to be doing double duty with right, that. You should kind of get yourself a contender. It's just up to the sanctioning bodies. Let's go into this. I, uh, fight with Lara, Ian? I possible? mean, I do does Laura even fight anymore? Like, but, well, maybe we can get him a fight. Yeah, maybe we can get him a fight. So, fighter of the year, I wanted to start it off. I think it's Terrence Crawford. Um, there's, real quick to close out the, the in a way segment, there was a fight on this undercard that I felt like was Oh, very deep bad. dive. We're going deep dive. I didn't even watch anything, so inform us. There was a fight uh, just before the main event between a guy named Sia Tsutsumi and Kazuki Anaguchi. That was fucking incredible, bro. There was the, the one guy was like winning all the rounds and then the, to, to Tsumi who was losing winds up getting four knockdowns to close out the fight. And it was just, it was just a wild, um, it was a wild fight worthy. Like if it was, 
if it had bigger stakes, I think we'd be talking about it in the fight of the year conversation. But I think that a fight like that is worth uh, highlighting. So to any of the any of the hardcores that want to go watch a gnarly little fight, that's that's something worth watching. So, like, basically, like, this is the problem with the awards is even if this fight is the fight of the year. And by the way, I just want to conclude with my guy, Ian Green. I see you still talking, bro. You should come on the show sometime. I'm just going to put that out there, but carry on. Yeah, I mean, shoot. Ian, what are you doing right now? You could possibly you could possibly jump on and do the award show with us. We could possibly get you on. But um, the to me, it's like the the tough part about the fight awards is – we're doing this show so we can have a week off. Like we're going to do new years. We're going to hang out, live our life. And when we'll be back, we're pretty phoned in like this week. So even if the greatest fight in the world, it's, there's a part of you that's like, ah, I already wrote my article. I already wrote my article. I don't really want fight of the year to, but we'll bring that up. I mean, that's just kind of the, it's like being an Academy award winning film and releasing your film in January or February or March and expecting the voters to be, Oh yeah, that just came. It's like they kind of locked in their nominees. I get what you're saying, but I'm going to go back and watch it because I completely did not even worth a watch. Just kind of slipped in as like a real sleeper. Both guys were undefeated too, which kind of upped the ante on that. And they both, I mean, the guy that lost his face was way better than the guy that won, but he got dropped four times. It was just, bro. It's just a fun fight. It's like when I go back to my house and it's a rainstorm day and I've finished my work for the day, I could throw it on and there's a lot, there's a lot worse things I could do. Yeah. If I throw this on, I'm probably going to have a little smile on my face. Like I ate a cheesecake sitting there nodding my head going, okay, that was a worthy use of time. Yeah. Okay. So let's get into this fighter of the year conversation. Um, fighter of the year, as you know, um, it's kind of like the Jordan, LeBron, Kobe meme conversation. Like I've never seen someone that's like Michael Jordan's the best basketball player. And then they read a meme and go, you know what? LeBron is actually better. I saw this meme or this argument on the internet. I feel like fighter of the year is going to be very, people are going to have very fixed opinions and they're not going to really listen to other people and go, Oh, you know what? You made a point. Let me jump over to what – so, like, I want to preface that because I feel like people will jump to this segment and then go, I hate you guys or I love you guys. Like, it very – to me, there's only three people that are nominated. It's Crawford in a way, and then you can throw Haney in for how spectacular the Regis performance is. To me, Terrence Crawford is like my beloved NFL quarterback, Brock Purdy. The guy consistently does – Things that if he he wasn't named Terrence Crawford or if Brock Purdy was named a superstar like Patrick Mahomes or one of these other players, people go, "What? Look at what he's doing!" Because he's Brock Purdy, I feel like there's an unfair scrutiny because he's Terrence Crawford. I feel like he's held to a different standard that a lot of fighters are not held to, where they question his resume. Where when we look at a lot of these guys on the top of this list, what is their resume? Like honestly, like well, the only the only criticism I would make of that though is that Terrence fights once a year, so it it becomes a difficult conversation where he has it probably in my opinion the best performance of the individual performance of the year, but he's not as active as the other guys that are in this conversation who give us a little bit more of a sample size. So, do you agree with me that he is the twenty twenty three fighter of the year? I do, and I think that the significance of the fight with Spence 
just the fact that they were viewed as like the the two guys of their era and he just separated himself completely i think it's hard not to man it was it's the most significant fight of of the era at the moment and i want to specify so i'm going to go back to 2020 and explain my voting 2020 fighter of the year teofimo lopez that huge win over lomachenko that's how i voted 2021, Canelo Alvarez, undisputed, historic achievement. 2022, Bivol, biggest performance of the... I typically am drawn to these historic landmark achievements for fighter of the year. So if you don't vote, where if, if those things don't matter as much, I could see where we differ. But for me personally, I try to do it as a time capsule of what was the most significant moment in this point of history. Well, and you also have to think beyond the performance, who is the performance against? And I think that Errol Spence is the is the most significant win that anybody's had this year by far. So the, the shoe shine's basically saying, I'm going to summarize it, but Crawford only one major I, I win. I understand that argument. But how, how do you, given that we both gave the award to Spence, our fictional award, he's not getting anything. Um, and not saying in a way. How do you justify that? Because there's in a ways probably the had the worst luck ever, in the sense that he just went undisputed back to back. He probably should be fighter of the year back to back. But Bivol beats Canelo, right. and then now yep. Crawford beats fights the fight we always want to see him, and basically dog walks Errol Spence. And now I don't think Errol Spence is going to go in the Hall of Fame because it was that one sided. How do you but ultimately it's because he beat another generational fighter. Fulton is a great fighter. Topolis is a great fighter. Those are incredible wins. I don't know if they're if they are also generational talents. They're elite world champions, but there's there's certain levels. Crawford did it against another guy that if you're talking about the very best of the era, Spence is one of those guys. And then we got our guy James in the chat. I think AJ and Zhang are worth mentions. Sure. You know, I just don't think that they can win the award. I think Oshaki Foster is worth a mention. I just don't think that – because he probably has two of the toughest wins of the year, if you're thinking about it, beating Ray Vargas, beating Rocky Hernandez. But it's kind of hard given the, the climate. Uh, what else? Spence was overrated on the pound-for-pound pound list. His performance validated. He fought worth – I mean, I personally don't – if the guy's on those places, I don't like going back in time and – devaluing a fighter when before the fight we weren't devaluing him there were not there were a lot of people that were very excited feeling that was a 50 50 Hagler hearns fight and terrence Crawford separated and made it look like a prospect I mean, I was out here leaning towards spence so that that shit really blew my mind what is it i'm saying that shit blew really blew my mind because i was out here favoring spence before the fight i was leaning that way our guy, Ian Green, the general, uh, two, 2023 performance of the year is Crawford. I think we both agree with that. Fighter Crawford, runner up would be Inouye, and two honorable mentions, Haney Benavides. I'm not mad at that. I think sh- I, I personally you know would what? throw Shock you, Foster I, in. You, I, you, the, there was a lot of great performances this year. You have to put Bam Rodriguez in that conversation as well. Okay, are we just jumping into perf- uh performance of the year because i think that that's a really fun one to go over um performance of the year my kind of i think we've already done a segment on this but off the top of my head i think performance of the year is crawford devin haney regis pro gray devin ben david benavides is two performances this year 
and Jesse Bam Rodriguez against Sonny Edwards. Those are the ones that come to my mind as guys becoming superstars in front of our eyes. Yeah. And there was, there was a handful of those this year. Again, like I think we, we kind of just touched on Terrence Crawford beat another Hall of Fame fighter and he made it look very, very easy. And so that just puts him into a different category, even though I and a lot of other fans wish that we saw him in the ring more often. I think also the issue is he's an older fighter. So these guys, when they get to the top, they're not going to fight as much, you know, and that's that's just and, the nature. And, and I'm not looking for a lot, but if he fought twice a year, you know, at the time, at the end of Floyd's career, he was fighting twice a year, and a lot of old heads were like, oh, my God, he's only fighting twice a year. Almost all of these PBC guys fight once a year. If at all. So it, so to me, it's just like if we could get, establish a baseline of star fighters fighting twice a year. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's the troubling thing because it under it undersells his achievement. I think just to go over these type of performances, um, no, Spence is not a Hall of Famer to me, but I think in the lead-up to Crawford Spence, he was Hall of Fame trajectory. We're talking about a U.S. Olympian. We're talking about someone that had unified belts become a major draw in the sport. I, have to be- I think he is in the Hall of Fame. I mean, if you're going to put Arturo Gatti in the Hall of Fame, Errol Spence gets into the Hall of Fame, and he beat five or six elite fighters that were his contemporaries. So I think that the the the, the bar gets moved when somebody like Crawford does something special, but I think that Spence is a Hall of Fame fighter. I think it's going to be an interesting dialogue, and it's going to come down to the pure group of voters because I think that's a gray area. Uh, I still think Gotti got in based on the amount of um, emotion he made the fans feel. It's kind of like Joe Goosen. You know, it's like, is Joe Goosen the greatest trainer ever? I'm not sure. But when he really does those speeches and connects with the fighter, and then like John Molina or Chico makes a comeback in the last round, you start to kind of believe a little bit more that maybe some magic in boxing exists. And maybe you might be more prone to vote him in then say a guy who's just a fundamental jab and step over. Like, I think we do weight these awards and the accolades based around kind of romanticism and moments in our own lives. Yeah. I, I, and I, by the way, Artur Gotti was like my, my favorite fighter of all time, but I, I use him as an example where if we're talking about hall of fame caliber fighters, I just think that Errol Spence pretty easily fits into that category. Do you think David Benavidez is the um, the U.S. version of Inouye in the sense where a lot of years this would have been his breakout year, but Crawford Spence happens, Davis happens, um, Bam Rodriguez goes from kind of looking human to extraordinary, Inouye keeps being amazing. It's like Benavidez had two magnificent wins that should have pole vaulted him, yet so many big fights happened this year kind of doesn't seem like it's as important as it should be. Yeah, I don't know, man, but that 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 Demetrius Android win was just really something special, bro. That was really something special. We covered that when it happened, but Android was just so driven to get to David to really try to win that fight. It was just, it was spectacular. I mean, that was kind of like announcing yourself to the world that I'm a legit fighter because if there was, if there was some doubt in Benavidez... That's the type of fights that get weird. That's the type of fights that get close. And Demetrius was there to win. You know, he was there to win. And it it was, that was one pay-per-view I was not mad I bought because I'm glad I saw that in real time. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So are we going to cover any more performances? I guess we should probably talk about the Haney performance because I was there live and seeing that in person kind of felt like maybe it's because I've known him kind of throughout the years, but it felt like he evolved from the teen boxer into this is Devin Haney, the man view me as a man view me as a great fighter. Do not leave me off a pound for pound list. It seemed like it was the evolution of Devin and kind of like the, I know he's going to have the Cambosis fight in the Lomachenko fight, but this was his, one of his, if he goes in the hall of fame, this is a performance you point at and go, this is a prime Devin Haney. 100%. Even just the leap from his performance against Lomachenko to that was incredible. It was just, it was, it wasn't like, I mean, it's stylistically very different fights, but he looked just so much more comfortable in 140 pounds. And it was like the best version of what you could possibly imagine him being. Yeah. And I, I think also the thing that no one gives Devin credit for, he works extremely hard in a generation where I think a lot of these fighters are consumed with money and a little bit of luxury. Devin is just outworking a lot of these guys that over time, we're like, this guy is more fundamentally sound. I think Shakur's catching up to all these guys because he's just outworking them. Yeah. No, there's, there's a lot of truth to that. I think there was, there's, there's one other performance that I think is worth mentioning, and it is the, you could say both of them, but for me, the first, um, performance was Zhang dominated Joe Joyce. And I just think that there was that, the, the ease that he did it, and had the level of dominance that he had, I think that there was a shock value to that, that it's at least worth mentioning. Good. Um, now we're going to move over to trainer of the year. And to me, this is kind of an easy one. I don't know how you feel. I haven't asked you about some nuanced picks as well, but to me, very obvious. It's Brian Bomack McIntyre. He did it all this year. He got the win over the acclaimed fighter, Errol Spence, with Terrence Crawford, a fighter, by the way, that he raised from the ground up. He took Chris Eubank Jr. in and got him an avenged a loss, which is another type of project. And he's working with Kelvin Davis and Keyshawn Davis and a lot of Bektar, Jukumbayev. He's working with a lot of guys that are kind of under the radar and kind of helping them get the most for their talents. If that's not a trainer of the year, I don't know what it is because he's fitting all the boxes, superstar component, revive a fighter and working with guys on the come up. Boy, I, I honestly forgot about that Eubank performance, which was another really special performance. And I think that there's no doubt that Bomax presence had something to do with that. And I keep emphasizing this, but I want to emphasize what no one's saying about my guy, Bomac. It's his selflessness. He has red spikes. He has SIU Dominguez, who I probably say his name all wrong. I can never say his name. I'm sorry, but you're a great coach. He brings other coaches in, and he trusts them to work with the fighters as his equals. He's not talking down to them. It's like a football team, and it's no wonder they're from Nebraska, right? Cornhuskers, big. But it's like how many of these boxing coaches are good coaches, but their ego gets in the way? They're like, I have to do it. I'm Morpheus. I know it. I think the thing that people never give Bomac credit for is he's very fine giving other people credit and allowing other people to work in a team. And I think that's why his unit is becoming the strongest of this era. Well, and as a result, he gets the most out of his fighters. You know what I mean? Pretty much any fighter he has, it seems like he gets the most out of their abilities. 
and he's not spreading himself thin. Like, I think that's a big thing about you have a fighter like Crawford, you spread yourself thin. It seems like now they got a, a guy, YouTuber, friend of Crawford, Bernie the Boxer. Bernie's getting involved. It's like they're they're helping empower other people as opposed to let me do everything and spread myself as thin. It's almost like they're doing the opposite. How can we get more people involved so I can stay at this same level of engaged? Yeah. I think I think it's very admirable. And I think a lot of times people like to make fun of Bomac because look, he is a chubby guy, but guess what? Boxing's a sport of misfits. Who cares what he looks like? Um, I think that there's just a lot of people that didn't want Bomac to be as good of a coach as he was. And I think a lot of that was the buildup to the Errol Spence fight because that if we're going to be honest, they're not the cool guys. They're not the cool for school guys. They're the guys that show up in Wranglers. But guess what? They can really fight and they can really coach. And I think that a lot of people were very mean to Bomac and that team in the lead up based on the fact that they're not, they're not swaggy, cool guys. They're just, let's show up unpretentious. I think at the press conference, didn't Bomac have sunglasses and a big ice, ice cube t-shirt and said it's work time and he's getting called Cheetos man. Like he's not necessarily like the guy that's going to be wearing the Miri jeans and all of this, but it seems like he's very loyal to his guys and he's going to give them as much as he can. And I think that he deserves credit as, as one of the best of this era in terms of coach. I agree. And the, the results speak for themselves, bro. So I wanted to give a credit to someone else who doesn't get much credit. We might try to get him on the show actually. So we're going to kiss up. To, we might try to get Bomac on. That would be cool if we got Bomac on. I feel like Bomac's Bomac might come on. If we can get the, the general Ian Green, maybe we can get Bomac. Um, Sean George, I want to give a shout out to came up with the plan for Zili Zhang. He has a lot of fighters, not Mr. Hey, look at me, coach guy. But I think that Sean George deserves a lot of credit for coming up with a game plan twice with Zili Zhang. And I, Dakota, am I biased in this? When you're facing adversity, when you're the B side coach, when you beat an A side fighter, I kind of weighted a little differently. So Bomac beating Spence and felt like the system was against him. Wow, that's good. Sean George going overseas twice with Zhang and beating beating Joyce. Wow. And by the way, I know everyone's hindsight is is twenty twenty, but at the time that that first fight happened, bro, Joe Joyce was just walking through quality fighters. I mean, he just had like a machine kind of vibe to him. And Zhang, Zhang just kind of hit, beat that right out of him and brought him right back into like humanity. You know what I mean? Yeah. He had the T200 yeah. vibe to him. You know, yeah. um, I'm trying to think of other coaches. I want to give a shout out to Bobby Benton, even though we just didn't win. I think he was the second assist in that fight for shock Foster to win his two fights this year. And the way Bobby coached in the corner, the Ray Vargas fight, he said, Hey, the cards are close. Get on it. That ninth round against Rocky Hernandez, looking at him and saying basically like, bro, you're going to lose this fight if we don't get a stoppage. And then Shock doing it. I mean, to me, like, okay, I think a lot of times we, as I said before, we overrate, oh, throw a jab, throw a right hand. Bobby told him what he needed to hear. Go do it. Go. A lot of times fighters know how to fight. Go friggin' do it. To me, that was great coaching, Bobby. I think one other coach that I am interested in giving a shout out to real quick, and unfortunately I can't remember his name, but it's Boots's pops and the job. Bozy, Bozy Ennis, Bozy Ennis, and the job that he's done with Andy Cruz. I mean that that was that's been very impressive to me. I mean, and his son, 
right? Of course. Well, of course. But, I mean, I think Bozy is going to be one of these guys that's not unlike Bomac. Mm-hmm. Like, just a guy. Like, I don't think people understand how got good a guy like Bomac or Bozy is when they raise someone from the ground up. Terrence right. didn't know how to fight as a trained boxer until Bomac. Boots didn't know how to fight until his dad kind of started doing st- He was in the gym. These guys were not built by other coaches. These guys were built for, to me, that's like, oh, you're a bad dude, you know, because we got a lot of coaches that kind of grab a really good fighter. Um, we got our guy, David Park, in a way moved up in weight and demolished the number one guy. Crawford and Spence have been in wealth weight for years in a way as a fighter. Hey, that's a fine opinion. Look, I get that argument. Honestly, it's, we're not up here to change your minds. We're, that's fine. We're just creating a show for hardcore boxing fans. You're probably off from work a little bit. Maybe you're not. Maybe it's raining. Maybe it's sunny. This maybe you're is just, at work. Maybe you're at work, but guess what? You can listen to a wrap-up of the year. And maybe just, I think the point of the show is, instead of bickering, let's just reflect on the year. Let's think about, let's think back on this boxing year. Okay, so I think we've covered trainer of the year. That was pretty good. Let's go to fight of the year. Um I've kind of let my opinion be known on what on that, Dakota. I've been talking jibber-jabber. You say what you think fight of the year is. I mean, it happened early on, and there's been some great fights, but I think it's hard to go against uh, Luis Nery beating Azad Hovindasian route. I mean, that was just one of these unhinged kind of fights that just had a, a an unpredictability to it from the very beginning. Um, it had a Castillo-Corrales kind of feel, you know, Orlando Salido and, uh, you know, uh, who was, who was the Japanese guy he had that crazy fight with, but it had that kind of vibe to it. Um, it, the, to me, you know, there was Kenny Sims, but Tirok Madoff, a great choice. Um, I there, actually forgot about that fight. Like I forgot because it just flew under the radar and then Kenny didn't get a second fight. That that was one for me. I mean, I recently went back and watched Espinosa and Robesi Ramirez, and that fight is it's a banger. It's unreal, bro. It's that might weird. actually be the fight of the year, but I feel like I have such it's an emotional. Not, it's not quite as unhinged as Nary and Hovenasian. That's that's an unhinged fight. Okay, James, I have to object to that because fight of the year has to exist as it's the fight of the year. It's the one. I think what you're saying is event of the year. Event of the year has to be the full-bodied what it is. Fight of the year, I don't think we should put parameters because, yes, not a ton of people watched Neri versus Hosnesian, but they gave us classic. It was probably the best fight of the year. And this friggin' award might get people to either follow their careers or go back and see that great fight. So I feel like part of the the idea of this award is sometimes it's a great fight that everyone watches, but sometimes it's a fight that nobody watched, and they go back and give these great fighters who gave a historic performance, give them some credit. I think that's the point of these awards is to give shine to things that might have been overlooked by quote-unquote experts. I think that's exactly the point. That which was why I brought up um, Satsumi against Anaguchi because it was, you know, I'm, I, there's a lot of people that just aren't going to see that fight outside of Japan organically, but I happened to catch it and I thought it was really special. I think there, there, there is something to what you're saying, James, in regards to that might have been the craziest fight I saw all year, 
but the stakes weren't as high as they were for Nary and Hovindasian who are at the top of their division. You know what I mean? Or, you know what I'm saying? Well, I think the, also the reason why this fight flew under the radar, at least to me, was we had Fulton in a way. We had MJ Tapalis happening. This fight fought, this fight felt like the odd man out. It felt like Raiz Aleem versus Sam Goodman. It felt like guys that were kind of treading water because they didn't quite know where they were going to go in the division. And I think that there was, it was like for a lot of people, it's like, we'll take a week off from watching boxing. We're going to go on vacation. We're going to go to the bingo hall. And it, because these two fighters knew they needed to stay in the position they were in and they're both they both have flaws that complement each other, I should say. So fight of the year typically happens when you have two flawed fighters who know how to exploit the other one's flaws, keep doing it until one guy can't take it. And I think that that's the beauty in this fight was they both have some flaws that the other guy could exploit. And it made, in my opinion, a masterpiece where you really, in the middle of this fight, you did not know where the outcome of this fight was going to go. I think another one worth mentioning briefly is Hobson Conceição getting a draw against Emmanuel Navarrete. I mean, that was a fucking incredible fight. I think there's been enough entertaining fights where that one sort of slipped under the radar. But if you also want to talk in the category performance of the year, I would never give it to Conceição. But maybe having the biggest balls of the year and the fact that he he got dropped and took the kind of punishment he took and then dominated the backstretch of the fight. I mean, that was a that was a crazy fight. Yeah, I mean, is that a sneaky round of the year? Um, sure. Is Conceição's 12th round just staying upright, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and winning those rounds, man. Just really outworking Navarrete, even if he physically maybe was more damaged at one point. It was just at a certain point he was able to get Navarrete to keep his keep his hands in his pocket. Okay, in a way, is pound for pound number one. Bud is going to old. He is the past. Inouye is younger. The future belongs to him. Long life. The king from Japan. Please give him credit. Bud only fights once a year. Inouye has two fights. He's a four division champion. I mean, I don't think we are a program that doesn't give fighters credit. And I think we give credit pretty fairly. Although I saw some guy on Twitter, which you know, I'm going to take an L for even looking at Twitter because that's how you lose who said that you and me are, um, we don't like Anthony Joshua and we had an agenda against him and that we were complaining because now that Joshua won and Wilder lost, we're just mad because we're mad and that's it's had nothing to do with the fact the business of boxing is silly because uh, Wilder. (laughs) I mean, I actually am a fan of Anthony Joshua, so that's that's a pretty funny take. It's just, it's just, it's a very like, don't tell on yourself, bro. Well, that's like, why yeah. when it comes to Twitter, I'm fucking hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil, brother. Well, I think that's a tell on yourself. I think you're telling us how you think, and you're confusing me for you. You know, that's one of those where you're where the way you look at the sport is coming out through your words of what you think I'm doing because I'm not sitting up here going, gosh darn it, Anthony Joshua won, Wilder lost. Oh man, I'm sitting up here going. So why did uh why did these guys not just fight each other? <laughs> like like right. why? Go get that money, fellas. Yeah, and I'm not gonna sit up here and I think the argument was like, oh well, Saudi Arabia offered the well, 
Saudi Arabia is not like the most astute at boxing. So I'm sure if you were like, Hey guys, can we just do this fight now and get a little more money? I'm pretty sure given what's going, maybe I don't know. Maybe they'd be like, Oh, a really big fight. Sure. We'd love to. Yeah. I mean, maybe I'm just naive to business, but I think I just feel like that's the type of fight that if are you, are you Lukey, are you implying that rich guys want to make money? I don't know, man. I, that's maybe I am. So, um, so let's go into round of the year to me. Couple of obvious ones. I think Oshaki Foster, Rocky Hernandez is pretty much the clear choice for this one. I mean, and just to set the stage for those that didn't see it, um, Shock hurts Rocky Hernandez. Rocky Hernandez catches Shock. They both get hurt. It's the perfect formula. DeZone's broadcast was atrocious. The audio was about as bad as it was all year, which kind of ruins a great moment because sure. the broadcast call should have been much better for this. Just the audio sounds like it was megaphone quality. $25 a month. And it was just it was just a special moment that I think to me kind of cemented how special of a fighter Oshaki Foster is is this type of moment. So what do you think of that um, That fight? I agree that that was round of the year. Um, it, it was a another incredible fight leading up to it. It wasn't fight of the year candidate, but it was a, a fantastic fight. Um, and I think that the, the urgency that Shock showed, I don't remember feeling like he needed the knockout, but I know that it was a close fight. And so in a close fight. And then the judges were wrong. So the judges had it. They didn't even watch the fight. They had it all for Rocky, like right. one sided. Right. right. That's right. So, I mean, I, I think that that's a great choice. There was a, a real sense of urgency and he, he pulled it out when he needed to, bro. I, I, I think, I, you know, another one of those could potentially be, uh, Lee Wood knocking out Josh Warrington after losing basically every round of the fight, which he's done before, but the, the, the level of drama in the end of that fight was pretty wild. I mean, I, I think Lee was a great candidate. I think Hobson Koskow's 12th round against Navarrete was pretty bad. BA, um, pretty awesome. Uh, what other ones stand out to me? I think David Stevens, who was on the show earlier this year, got knocked out by Joe Sean James. Unfortunately, he had a last second knockout against Sean Hemphill. I think a sneaky a sneaky underground one is on Pro Box TV. Dominique Valle stopped Carlos Rosario in the sixth and final round at two minutes and fifty nine seconds. So to get a stoppage with one second left, I think that's notable because like how often do you see a buzzer beater knockout? I know that might be like a deep dive choice, but I think that that's just a a one. I think this was. I think there's an interesting article to be written that. A lot of the best fights that could have been made were made, but a lot of the best fights did not come from the best fights being made because mm-hmm. typically in the best fights, there's so much on the line. You do not see that. It's You see the recklessness in the Azat Havanesian, um, Luis Neri, because there, there's a level of I got to keep my spot. There's a level of urgency. There's not That's a level of tentative. Shit. Yeah, you see that. Like you're not going to see that probably in Fury Usyk. Like there's just the stakes are too high. Right. Upset of the year to me is Jose Felix Jr. knocking out Gary Cully. Um, I don't think anyone saw that coming. No, I sure didn't. I think that's a great pick. This may be the first one I 
we don't entirely agree on. I don't know how you can't have it be Joe Parker beating Deontay Wilder. I mean, pretty much everyone had that card written in their head that that was an easy knockout for Wilder and that Joshua's win was ultimately kind of the one that was in question. And Parker dominated every second of that fight. So for me, even if as boxing people, we knew that was a possibility, I think that that's got to be the one. I mean, but I guess for me personally, I just, there was a, I thought that was a 50-50 fight. And I know that sounds obnoxious, but I was kind of reading, leading into it. It's like this is a former world champion who's training with really good fighters who I think really thinks he can win this fight. And he was giving all indications he could win. It was an upset, but I felt like that fight on paper was like really tough because there were a lot of unanswerables with Wilder. Like we didn't, he's older He's been knocked out. He basically he did is, but, but to be fair, in, in every single other fight in his career, including fights with Fury, he puts guys on their ass. So the, the, the precedent that he sends is that Deontay Wilder puts guys on their ass. And if Joseph Parker doesn't get put on his ass, he's a very special guy. And I think most people didn't expect that. I think more so what surprised me in that fight was that Joe Joyce broke down against, uh, broke down Joseph Parker. And Wilder didn't even have slightly that level of deterioration. I get that Joe Joyce, different fighter, volume, a machine. But the fact that just the glancing blows of the power shots of Wilder didn't slowly erode Parker, that was probably my biggest. Well, I mean, even on, he landed some on the gloves, you know, and it's like, Normally, those power puncher guys, even if they're hitting you on the shoulder or the gloves, you start to see wear because it's like that friggin' hurt. The fact that we didn't see any of that was kind of more shocking than the outcome to me. I agree, uh, and I and I think that I I think that the fact that Jose Felix pulled up out of nowhere and beat a six foot two lightweight that has shown a pretty uh pretty well rounded skill set. You know, that, that that one came out of nowhere, and I think that it's a it's a great pick. We got Mexican boxing number one. I think he's reached his limit at 126. He'd be too small for Vernado or Espinosa. Luis Neri could pull the upset as well. Uh, he goes all the way to 140 and has faced bigger guys and can take Inouye's power. Uh, oh, gosh, landing punches on the gloves count now. No, James, I want to say this. Landing punches on the gloves don't count. But if you get into a fight with a puncher and you spar somebody, you're going to feel shots on the gloves, and that's going to physically wear on you in the later rounds. Your hands are going to be in different positions. You get hit on the arms. The way Canelo will hit you up on the shoulders when you're in the high guard. You know what I mean? These are, again, like you said, I agree, these are not scoring punches, but in the eighth round, they might lead to scoring punches. So I'll give a great example of this, in my opinion, just my opinion, not Dakota's. Canelo was maybe losing to Caleb Plant to some people, but to me, he was dominating a fight, even if Caleb Plant might be scoring more shots in that fight, because he was initiating and forcing action and wearing Caleb out. Like he was very confident, and even if his shots were missing, he was landing shots that were going to deteriorate the stamina, the physical well being of Caleb, even if Caleb was maybe scoring shots. Caleb was fine with, or Canelo was fine with that because he knew at the end he could get a knockout. And he was, he's always been really good at that part too. 
And going back to, to what Mexican boxing number one said, I think that Luis Neri is a very exciting opponent for Inouye. And before he moves up to featherweight, that's one that I think we'd both like to see now. Especially off the fight he's coming off of. You yeah. know, especially off that performance. Give him a good fight. He gave us a great fight last year. You never know what Neri – I think also another fun thing about Neri is um, he fought that legendary fighter over there, knocked him out, became famous, then tested positive for steroids – I believe, or a banned substance. Then he missed weight and got banned from fighting in Japan. So he's like a villain in Japan. And now he's fighting like a national. I think there's a cool story arc to that. Sure. I I think that's a really exciting matchup. Okay. So just some other ones for us. Uh, Gabriel Maestre knocking out Trayvon Marshall. Did not see that coming at all, especially given uh, Maestre had two really awful performances, and then he's like 37 years old and stops him. That was pretty incredible. Uh, Prospect of the year, for me, I think I'm hearing two different opinions. For me, it's Andy Cruz. For other people, it's Abdullah Mason. Those are pretty much the consensus two picks right now. Abdullah Mason is incredible. He's going to be – I think there's great things coming for that kid, but at the present moment, who I think is the prospect is like you said, Andy Cruz. We were seeing him already kind of do it against top 25 type guys. And he's doing it very easily. He's transitioning out of the amateur style very well. And um, I think, I think that man's a problem. I wanted to dislike him. I was sitting on press row. I was getting ready to be a hater. The level now he does one move I hate when he moves out with the left hook, he stands up like the Statue of Liberty and it seems like he can get clipped. But his ability to make you miss and then go on the offense as quick as possible, I have not seen many fighters do what he was doing. Like it was it was guy misses eight punch combination, it felt like live. It felt like he was landing so many clean punches. And the guy he fought was not some bad fighter. He did it to a guy who had beaten credible opponents, made him look like a tune-up fight. I mean, this could be the best Cuban fighter ever. This could be. I know that's hyperbole, but it's like I've never seen someone convert this well to the pro game from the amateur style that's a Cuban fighter ever. Like he's adapting. He's offensive. He's weaponizing his gifts. But at the same time, it's like we were so in on Robisi, and then he gets that matchup, and then all of a sudden. So I'm tentative, but I think Andy Cruz is just – I think he's a generational hey, – Robisi's career is not over by any means. You know, he he fought a six-foot-one featherweight that he pretty much knocked out four times that wouldn't go down. And I think that um, I think that Andy has a level of – uh, explosiveness offensively early in his career that Robesi didn't show until like his sixth, seventh fight. Yeah, I mean, and he's ahead of schedule of David Morrell as well. Which yeah, I mean, I, I, like I said, man, I, I'm already comfortable being like, if you want to just throw him in the mix, I think I, I, I'd have a hard time picking against him. I mean, to me, what he did was one of the most impressive performances. And what I didn't know about Cruz is being there live, there's a level of arrogance to him. It's kind of frightening. Like there's this level of confidence of feel comfortable. I'm going to, I'm going to dance really silly because I'm going to beat you up more like worse than you've ever been beaten up. And there's like an expectation of I'm going to beat you up. 
And it's, it's very, you almost have to experience it live to understand. He just feels like he's going to hurt these guys. And there's a part where the guy goes, Oh God, he really is going to do what he thinks he's going to do. Right. Right. And so, I mean, I think Abdullah Mason's also another fine choice as you brought up. I think he's so young in his development. He could possibly win the award next year. Because I think he two years. I mean, they're, 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 that's a kid you really, I would say, you could really take your time with because he's literally a teenager. And he's showing. I think the thing that's exciting about Abdullah is we see a lot of guys with great boxing pedigree, but the power is there with the boxing. Like, how many times do we see these great young kids, 18, 19, 20, they really can box their butts off, but they can't maybe punch? This is someone who can box and he can punch. That's a special fighter. Yep, and I I agree. So, okay, we've gone through that. That's um, fantastic, bro. Uh, Contender of the Year, our nuanced award. I think there's only one guy you can give Contender of the Year to, and that's Big Bang Zhang. I think that you you get a fight like that. You beat Joe Joyce. He's the only guy I look across boxing, maybe David Morrell, who has a fringe belt, where you say this is a guy that's an uncrowned champion that needs an opportunity to contend for a title in 2024? Well, I think contender of the year could also be code for or translated into who deserves the shot, their shot. You know what I mean? And I feel like at the moment, he's a guy that's earned it about as much as anybody. Now, my question to you is given the snail's pace of the heavyweight division in the modern era, will he even get an opportunity against a credible big name opponent or will he end up fighting like a guy like Joe Parker where they're both coming off big wins, but it's basically going to eliminate one feel-good story, and they're not going to take on one of the big names. Well, I think that that would be a great fight to make, to be honest. And I think that, again, I, I, I subscribe to the idea of you keep what you kill. And for me, the way that Parker dominated at Wilder, he is one of the big names in the division. Okay, we'll jump over to uh, women's boxing. Uh Pretty much, I would say, unless you don't agree, Katie Taylor has to win this award because she lost to Chantel Cameron, and then for her to come back, we could argue that she didn't win the fight, but the fact that she was in it and won the fight, I think the the ability to come back from a loss like that and to not get dog-walked wins the award. Where would you go with a women's boxing award? I I, I agree with that, and, you know, I I, I remember that the cards were somewhat wide in that fight, and I remember feeling like it was a draw and feeling like she got dropped in the first round. Regardless of all of that, though, for her to be a 37-year-old fighter and to come back against the girl who just beat her, who who is quite a bit younger, and in, in boxing years, I would say is even more young, um, win, lose, or draw, that's an incredible performance. Yeah. I mean, you know that's, I mean? there's no, there's no way to argue. That's, that's one of those, the greats always have kind of one more go in them. And I think she, she pulled one of those out. I think she showed why she's so special. Like there's only one Katie Taylor and like yep. everyone was expecting, I think a lot of journalists that I really respect thought that it was going to be vice versa. They thought Katie was going to win a, a questionable first fight and then Chantel would win the second. The fact that she was able to make it go the opposite kind of speaks to her greatness. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, prospect of the year in women's boxing. Is it Lauren Price or is it Caroline Dubois? Mm. That's a tough call, bro. 
I mean, I feel like you'd also, I, I don't know if you could still call her a prospect, but I think Gabriela Fondora is somebody you could have in that conversation as well. I, I think just winning a belt makes it, makes it difficult. You know, she's a world champion yep. now. So I think even though she probably fits that criteria, being a world champion is just a tough ass to call it a prospect. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to let you take that one, bro. I mean, I think I'm just biased towards Lauren Price because I saw her in the 2021 Olympics and I thought that she was one of the best fighters in the whole Olympic games. I saw Caroline Dubois in that same Olympics and I thought she was like a very solid fighter who's going to overachieve. I saw someone that had really good fundamentals and a good skill set, but also was maximizing her abilities where Lauren Price, I felt like had the potential to possibly be a breakout superstar in women's boxing. I'm not going to lie. I'm stubborn enough where sometimes on these 50, 50 calls, I go with my gut feeling in the amateurs. I think Caroline Dubois has been much more impressive as a pro, but I think Lauren Price to me, what she is capable of and what she does in the ring when she does fight. I still would say that there's a higher upside. And in these calls, I'd go with the higher upside fighter. So I would believe Lauren price would be the prospect of the year. Yeah. And they're, I mean, they're both great fucking picks as you could, you could also mention Scott Nicholson, but she's like the mandatory to a Serrano now. So she maybe has even surpassed that. And we gave it to her last year. So, I mean, like that just kind of, I think that last year she was kind of like the, the person that stood out the most. She fought yeah. often and did that. And I honestly think at this point, Sky probably beats Amanda Serrano because I think Amanda's slowing down. Sky's younger. I think that's a much closer fight than people perceive it. I think the power is the only question yeah, in that. Sky's speed present problems either way. You know what I yeah. mean? Her, her feet are going to give uh, give a man the problems. Well, I think I think a lot of times, like people judge a girl who wears cute outfits, doesn't hit hard, but there's something about Sky Nicholson where there she is a problem. Like she will give you issues. Yes, she has a little bit of influencer vibe to her, but there's a talent component to it. She wasn't an Olympian because she's nice and people like her. Right. You know, um, let's get herself in trouble in, in this year, 2023, who regressed the most in pro boxing, who, who had the hardest year and maybe fell from grace the most. I mean, you could say Joe Joyce. I mean, fuck man. A couple of years ago, I thought he might be the guy at heavyweight even a year and a half ago. And he took two brutal fucking beatings to Zhang. And a lot of that credit has to go to Big Bang, but I think that it would be hard to argue against that. I think the other one would be Chris Colbert, who took a, a really tough knockout loss at the end of the year to Ryo, and it puts him in a in a, in a real tricky situation now. When I, I think my gut feeling would be Colbert because he's always been kind of a braggadocious guy. Most people thought that he lost the first fight. Um, some people think it was 50-50 kind of goes against his best judgment. He's a 130-pounder, fights at lightweight, probably trying to audition for a Dermonte Tank Davis fight, rolls the dice, gets knocked out, and now I don't think he's a main event fighter. So you have a guy that Showtime was investing in main event fights. Now he lost, basically you could perceive it as he's lost his last three fights. He lost to Hector Luis mm -hmm. Garcia. He had a close fight with Valenzuela, and then, the second fight, I think, is going to be what history reshapes the fights as, as he got knocked out brutally. I think he's probably in the, the trickiest 
I think Deontay Wilder also fills fits into this category where he I goes from Deontay- being you can take this one. No, I was going to say, I think Deontay has to be in the conversation too. And I think the other one would have to be Jermel Charlo because he gets the opportunity to fight Canelo and has one of the more passive, uninspired performances that I can remember a top level fighter having. Yeah. Very, very unlikable performance where it seemed like he was counting his, his bank account in the fight. And in a fight that I think, um, he potentially could have been competitive in. I think he probably would have gotten knocked out if he put himself out there more, but I think he could have done more for his legacy in doing that. Well, and I think also like, and for his bank account, that performance. And then like all the nonsense that's now going on that we won't talk about, but him getting arrested recently, allegedly it's like, it just made this really unlikable mold where I just think that he went from being an outspoken true competitor who was an undisputed champion to a guy I'm not even sure I really want to see fight ever again. Right. I mean, Jermel Charlo for me was a guy where it's like, I know he's going to take the top guys. And I, and there were multiple times in his career where I said he was going to lose and then he won. And there was a resilience to him that I think was very admirable. Um, and like you said, the, to, to where he's at right at this moment where, there's, I almost couldn't be less interested in a fighter. And, and in some ways I feel the same way about Wilder because I was extremely impressed with Parker, but I felt like Wilder really phoned it in. And I, it's very rare that I say that, but that's the only way I can perceive a performance like that from a fighter who's been so passionate their whole career. Okay. We're both going to pick three fighters who will be in the fighter of the year conversation in 2024. Mm. Three fighters who will be in the fight of the year conversation. Well, I think this might age really badly, but I think Usyk, potentially, um, I'm leaning towards him in the Fury fight. And I think that if a six foot three cruiserweight champion were to beat Tyson Fury, it would be tough not to have him in that category. Um, I think that the other two would be guys who are in that conversation right now, but maybe they'll finally have their moment, and it's Bam Rodriguez and David Benavides. So my three are kind of, I think it's going to be Neo in a way. I think it's going to be Devin Haney, and I think it's David Benavides. I think those three are going to really break out next year more so. If you look, in a way, and Devin Haney have had two of the best years to not win Fighter of the Year. They're trending in the right direction. I think David Benavidez has just put together one of the greatest years. Those are my three guys that I believe will be in the conversation at the end of the year. Those are great picks. And I think that any of those guys will start being in the fighter of the year conversation. They'll start becoming, you know, they'll start having a seat at the table. Anytime you start talking about those things. And um, let's the last one I want to do with the awards. And then we're just going to do some quick housekeeping before we get out of here. I wanted to, we wanted to give out a club show award to your guy, Harry Jigliotti versus Michael Hahn Jr. Uh, I always like to do a club show fight of the year because this is kind of the grassroots of boxing. And a lot of these guys are selling tickets to the local feed store, the local 22s. They're showing up to the gym. They're having to sell the tickets and they're training. I think that the blue collar fighters across America that really make a great local event that create a lot of organic boxing fans that get people inspired to go to the boxing gym. They deserve a segment on this show. So I think that it's cool that these guys both went out there 
and competed against each other. Set the stage for Ohan Jr. versus Harry Jigliotti and why this is the club fight of the year in 2023. Well, for a bunch of reasons, and I think the first one being that these are guys who at certain points of, of their careers have ascended out uh, above the club show circuit and have fought on television, have fought on bigger names, some of these prospects that we've been talking about. These are the kinds of guys that test those guys for the first time. Um, and, and Harry's been doing it his whole career. And, and Mike Ohan has, has, has been doing it for a while. You know, and I think that this wasn't just a contender for club fight of the year. You could put this in the conversation for fight of the year because it was just – a, a banger of a fight. Again, like we said, we said there's some level of what's the significance in the fight we're talking about, but that that's why this is the perfect club fight of the year because it's two guys that you are going to see on TV again. Harry's having great success in these bare knuckle boxing leagues that are getting him great exposure, um, and 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 Mike's got a great jab. He's super smart boxer. He's another guy you're going to see on the bigger platforms again. This is exactly, this is like the best case scenario of a club show is that two guys who fight on TV come back to where they're from and put on a fucking show. But like you, we look at our awards, like a couple years ago, we gave it to Mark Dawson Jr. versus Paul Kroll, which is another fight very similar to this type of vibe. Mm -hmm. For some reason, I can't remember what last year's was, but every year there's, there's always two TV fighters who have to fight each other to kind of try to prove that they can get that top ranked prospect. And I think that's what made this fight so good. Um, way, it was such a great fight that Harry lost and he's fought on large platforms multiple times already because he, first of all, he's willing to take the bare knuckle fights, but it was a tremendous fight. There really wasn't a loser. So final stuff, uh, Kazuto Ioka, four division world champion, probably, I'd say he's a Hall of Famer in my book, but people don't really like he's been a pound for pound fighter, I'd say, for years. But people he just doesn't fight in America. He's only fought in the U.S. once. He's primarily been a Japanese fighter. If you don't cater to the Japanese or to the American or the British audiences, I feel like you're going to get excluded from these lists. He was supposed to fight Juan Francisco Estrada, but who knows what Juan Francisco Estrada is doing anymore because he sat out the whole year. He sat out Joshua Franco for Franco when Franco was supposed to get it. And now Ioka Estrada was supposed to happen. Instead, it's Ioka versus a guy named Jasper Perez. Um, it's happening, but it just feels like at 34 years old, how much longer can Ioka go? He turned pro in 2009. That's sadly a long time ago, though I'd like to believe it wasn't a long time ago. And... It just makes me wonder just how much more can we do with this? How much more Ioka at the highest level can we get? And now we're getting it against a fighter. If we're being honest, we're not very excited to see him in with. I don't know the fighter that he's in with, and I am I think that he's a guy who's earned the Bam Rodriguez's, the Juan Francisco Estrada's, the Chocolatitos, whichever one of those guys you want to put him in with. I just think he's earned one of those. I'm looking up his opponent. His opponent has only one loss, I believe. No, he's got three losses, but his main recent loss is to Artem Delacanian. He's the flyweight champion that, or the super flyweight champion that never fights anybody. So you forget he's a champion because he's just kind of there. Um, yeah, it's just, it's kind of sad because I mean, Ioka is one of these guys where like I want to see him in really meaningful fights and this is just, this is how he doesn't 
this is how he's not relevant. He's taking on a fighter that we're just not interested in. Yeah, and when he did take on a fighter we were interested in, it wasn't on American television. So it makes it difficult. Yeah, it's just his whole career has just basically been up in the air. Uh, real quickly, we're not going to be back this weekend because that's just how it is. Uh, we got Virgil Ortiz coming back in not this Saturday, the following Saturday, depending on when you listen. It could be the Saturday you're listening. Uh, Virgil Ortiz taking on Frederick Lawson. Dakota, this is such a complicated issue. Why don't you tackle the ranges of what your concerns are? Well, this is the first time we're seeing Virgil in a while, and the reason it's the first time we're seeing Virgil in a while is because he's been trying to make welterweight, and it's put him in the hospital three different times with a wasting syndrome. So he's now moving up to 154 pounds, which is a good place to start, but you have to wonder if welterweight's putting you in the hospital. Is 154 the weight that you're going to perform optimally? And I think this is our chance to find out if that's the case. And if uh, whatever health issues he's had in the past have put him in a place where he's not the, the same man. I also think another storyline is Robert Garcia is back with him. So when Robert Garcia was with Virgil, that, that was the best version of Virgil, in my opinion. So he's back with Robert Garcia, a very professional team. So that could possibly help. I also think... The opponent, Frederick Lawson, is more I – mean, there's a theme of this show where the, a lot of big-name guys fighting kind of club-level opponents, and it feels kind of like twofold. One, let's get you a win. Two, it also feels like let's get these guys active and make sure they can get to the dance. I don't think anyone's – no disrespect to Frederick Lawson. I don't think anyone's picking Frederick Lawson to win this fight. He's kind of a guy I would look at like maybe a Troy Isley fighting or like a Joe Sean James fighting rather than a Virgil Ortiz. Maybe like a Vito Milanicki would be a guy I'd look at a Frederick Lawson. But I understand the choice of an opponent because there's been a couple of events canceled with him at the top of the bill. And I feel like at this point, this is just, hey, get your reps in and then let's see what we can make that's enticing. And beyond get your reps in, let's see what, what we got here. What's your level of interest in this fight? My level of interest in the fight is minimal. My level of interest in Virgil is very high. Um, my level of interest of him in a fighter and seeing kind of where his body and his health is, I, I you know, it would be really weird if the, a guy that I felt like is one of the most promising talents in boxing two years ago was not capable of fighting anymore. Yeah, I mean, I think that, I hate to say this from a writer's standpoint, but I think it's true. I think the events leading up to the fight are more interesting than the fight itself. I think the Agreed. press conference and the weigh-in will be more viewed and judged by people like us than actually the fight, because I think people are going to look at the fight as a foregone conclusion. Yeah, absolutely. Co-main event. This is another time they moved this fight that you absolutely love, Dakota. It is the... IBA interim 140-pound belt between O'Hara Davies versus Ismail Barroso. I mean, we if something goes wrong, which knock on wood it won't, I think Virgil will make this fight. This could be the main eventer, which that would be a hell of a start to boxing in 2024 if this is the is main this, event. Is, is this the new generation's uh, uh, Manuel Char versus Fresa Kendo? Pretty much. I mean, this is just, I think you said it best. Like there's so many great fighters at 140, but then somehow these are two of the fighters I'm just not that interested in. And they're fighting for a form of a world title, which seemingly makes no sense to me. 
None, bro. None. Absolutely none. I do, however, I don't have as much of an issue with Barroso getting his shot because the stoppage against Roley was so bad and it was a fight that he was winning. So I don't, I don't hate that part as far as like justice, you know what I mean? But it's definitely not a fight that I'm overly interested in. It's just a weird fight. It's just not, yeah, it's just in the fact that O'Hara Davies somehow is now ranked above Kenny Sims Jr., who seemingly was in that position for such a long time. And Kenny has wins over Elvis Rodriguez. He has that tough fight last year, a grueling fight. And then we look at O'Hara Davies. I believe he beat like Lewis Ritson off the top of my memory, but he, I just can't think of fights that equal the level of merit that Kenny Sims had. Yet Kenny is now getting an inconsequential fight somewhere. And this is a, and it just makes you wonder about the politics of the sport when things like this happen. And then when, you know, Jarrell Miller gets 5 million chances. Yeah, you love your thing. Um, here's a really weird fight that's – well, actually, this one's not the weird one. This is actually a decent fight. Our guy Arnold Barbosa, friend of the program, is taking on former uh, Devin Haney opponent. I can't ever say his name. It starts with an X, and that's Nindanji. Um, I believe Tito Mercado fought him recently and stopped him. Devin Haney fought him. He's been kind of a barometer, stern test guy for guys in the prospect contender development stage. It's Barbosa's first fight with Golden Boy. This is a durable guy that will probably take him rounds, but I think this is a good introduction with a guy that's fought a lot of quality fighters, more so prospects than contenders lately. But I think it's a decent, a decent debut. I mean, Barbosa versus Kenny Sims, twenty twenty four. Well, you know, there's bad blood there. Kenny says that Barbosa turned down a fight with him. That's a fight I want to see, brother. That's Kenny says that Barbosa turned down a fight. I just like, I understand that sometimes these unsexy fights on paper have to happen because Barbosa just signed with this company and realistically, yeah, yeah, Tito Mercado went 10 rounds with this guy recently um, a guy named Prince something or another who's 11, 10, and 1 knocked him out, and then Devin went 10 rounds. So outside of a fight in Africa, he's never been knocked out. I would expect Arnold to go all 10 rounds with him. I wouldn't see it. Would you expect a knockout in this performance? I mean, if he does a knockout, that would be spectacular, but I would expect Arnold get some 10 rounds in, call out King Rye. I don't know anything about the opponent, so I couldn't anticipate the outcome. Kind of sums up the card, right? It's like when you say that, it kind of sums this. Now is when we get really friggin' weird. Okay, are you ready for this one? I don't know. Um, Rowdy Rebel, Rowdy Montgomery, um, Rowdy Loudon Montgomery, good solid club fighter, right? Henry Ramirez. He's taking on Sergey Dervianchenko. Uh, that just to me, like, I get it. Sergey needs, like, a lack of a better word, more of a tune up ish fight. But this feels like a on paper like a very big skill difference of Dervianchenko, very accomplished, maybe one of the best fighters to not win a world championship in his era, taking on a guy that I don't really think has fought outside of the club circuit. Really, he's fought on undercards against A side fighters, but really been a guy that hasn't really kind of come in and gotten his own success 
for the most part at the highest. He does does also have a little bit of charisma to what he does. So I think it's a way for Darovichenko to take a softer touch while also taking somebody that fans might be connected with in some way. And I think he's based out of the LA area. So maybe that also, he can bring some butts to the seats. But Mm -hmm. when I saw this on paper, I was just kind of like, wow, that's a, it's kind of a strange, like I, to me, Darianchenko, top 10, top 15 guy. Rowdy's probably top 80, top 100. It's just a big yep. gap in where they're at. Uh, final thing I wanted to bring up, Raul Kirel, uh, welterweight, signed a golden boy a long time ago. I believe the Olympian completely has flown under the radar. He's in a 10-round fight. You know what that means, Dakota? That means he's probably going to get a big fight in April. April, May, he'll probably be in a fight against maybe like someone that we actually care about. So I think that bringing up those type of names are always important because those are the guys that possibly have breakout years. Uh, I'll have to check Raul Curiel out. I can't say that I've seen him before. I mean, I think that if you want something to sum up this Golden Boy card, and we like Golden Boy and Jane, don't hate me for this. Eric Gomez, don't hate me for this. I think for most fans, this card's going to be a lot of names you've heard of against guys I got to check out. I'm not familiar like that sums up this card. It's it's a lot of names you've heard of facing guys that you need to do a Google search on because you're you just will not. get Manuel Char against Fresa Kendo, finally. Yeah, so I mean, that's what it is. Dakota, you will been... get Ruslan Shagaya versus Lucas Brown. Oh, I've been <laughs> don't 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 tease me with a good time now. But uh, Dakota, any final thoughts that you want to say to the boxing public in 2023? Because we will return. We're going to take a vacation. We're going to take a little hiatus. We'll be back this Sunday after this Golden Boy card to offer, unless something crazy happens, unless a boxer does something completely irresponsible and we see the need to come back and give snide comments. Um, any final thoughts? I guess wrap up the year 2023 in a nutshell for a space alien who just landed on Earth in the past couple hours. been kind of a hectic year. There's been some meaningful matchups made. There's been more meaningful matchups left on the table. Um, I think that that's the key to kind of reviving boxing is continuing to make meaningful matchups. I hope this Wilder and Joshua card was a lesson in how quickly those things can slip away. Um, make them, you know, eat, eat it while it's hot, bro. Eat your food while it's hot. Boxing's got to stop letting his food get cold. But I think there were some meaningful matchups for me personally. It was a great year. Was able to cover a lot of different fights, meet a lot of fucking really great fighters and people in the sport, and uh, appreciate everyone in your slash our audience who's spent time with us every week. I appreciate everyone at ITR Boxing and everyone that watches our shows. I want to shout out my guy Felix, Jack, Nibs, and Ray, and especially you, brother. You know, guys, I'm on the air with every week. Um, and I'm looking forward to giving you guys more of the Slipping We podcast next year. You know, sometimes on my personal show, it's tough to, to find time in to, to book guests every single week, but, um, plenty more of those to come. There's no doubt about it. And, uh, in 2024, I think it's going to be a great year, man. Yeah. I mean, that was way more thoughtful and heartfelt than I was expecting. So first off, I appreciate that. I think the way I would sum up boxing is, we're moving in the right direction, but we're in danger of being a dying sport. So we have to really try to, we're like a sports franchise. We're like the San Francisco Giants, my beloved baseball team. 
we are close to being a team that's losing a lot of fans because we're just they're doing things that are uninteresting. Boxing is doing enough where people are staying, but we're close to being something and teaching the fans they don't have to tune in week in and week out. And we really need to to make these big fights next year, make big fights again. Mar- what has Marination done? It's made boxing more and more irrelevant. It's made boxing leave television networks streaming out. The more app. expensive, by the way. The more expensive part is the part that always gets left out, and that's the part that keeps fans from joining the party. Well, I think that's what it is. Um, it's there's so many. It's so expensive to be a boxing fan, yet it's one of the poorest sports out there. Like golf is probably one of the richest sports, yet all you have to do is have a TV cable subscription. You watch golf every week. The NFL, it's like it's very expensive to go to games, but if you throw on your TV on Saturday or Sunday, you can watch a football game, college or NFL. Mm -hmm. I think the barrier for boxing is there's a level of intelligence and education to navigate the boxing world that just makes people not even want to try. You can't stumble into boxing in 2023, really. Yeah, 2024 should be about making boxing accessible and making the distribution uh, a little bit more enjoyable for the fan and less something that makes me want to break my television. And that's a great way to end it, Dakota. I will see you in 2024. I will probably talk to you before then. For everybody that's joined the startup channel, that's both me and Dakota's channel, uh, thank you for sticking with us. We're growing. We're growing with y'all. And also support ITR Boxing. And then while you're at it, I have a sub stack. Go to the sub stack. And if you haven't already, be sure to read my articles on ProBoxTV.com slash news. It, I, I'm biased because I'm, I'm there. But I honestly think it's one of the best things in boxing because you get great articles. You get great commentary with people who aren't biased, speaking their minds. And you get evenly matched fights. You might go, oh, I don't know these guys. Just sit down watch a good competitive boxing match. And I keep telling people on Pro Box, there's going to be world champions that come through Pro Box. Listen, you might see a guy like my guy Vibes Van Sicklin, who's a very talented, charismatic, fun fighter to watch. And But I'm saying there's going to be three or four. Like What Pro Box right now, what's so fun about Pro Box to me is it's the infancy. So... We're going to look back seven years, and if this was the VHS or DVD era, they'd go, this is Pro Box TV DVDs of George Foreman's fights or something. There's going to be a guy that had eight fights on Pro Box TV who's going to be a long-reigning world champion. And if if you want to see it from the ground up, you have that chance with Pro Box because the company is growing as some of these fighters are growing. A guy like Najee Lopez, a guy like Blast, these guys are going to be really friggin' good and you can grow with the company. And I just think that that's a unique situation. You can't grow with these and other you companies. Talk bang for your buck. What they're giving you for free compared to what the zones are giving you for $25 a month is not even comparable. And the production, how's the produ- production? Amazing. It's honestly one of the best in boxing. It's the, it's one of the most reliable and I never have to pay for it. Yeah, and if you do want to pay for it, it's $1.99 ad-free, and it's even better quality. So it's like – It's deal. It's – it's, I think it's like $18 I'd have to check for a whole year subscription. So, I mean, if you're a hardcore boxing fan, you like watching boxing shows, yes, you have to pay a little bit. But guess what? It goes back to the writers, the talent, 
it actually goes somewhere. So that's my pro box. I can't wait to do this. I probably wouldn't even do a podcast if it wasn't for me being able to hang out with Dakota once a week because I just love talking boxing. So we will be back. Obviously, the first couple of weeks are going to be very slow because it's, I mean, the Better Beef week won't be that slow, but we got Better Beef Mungia, and then we're going to have two off weeks. I'm excited for bringing everybody on this channel as quality of content. And Dakota, let's do it again, brother.